Welcome to yet another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I'm joined by my good friend, David Russell. How you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm good, bud. I'm sorry I was late today. So, uh, yeah, I, I think you know, I picked no the time. No one would have known that then, if you hadn't then, said anything. Well, you know what? I picked the time. I have to. Hey, man, I have to call myself out. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> and I'm a half hour late than what I normally am. Really? Don't beat yourself and I picked up. The That's time. my job. <laughs> Um, yeah. We'll do plenty <laughs> and, of it, I'm uh, sure. We actually have here, uh, by uh, kind of accidentally, which is pretty much the only time I talk to him, uh, Andrew. Um, <laughs> it's also hello, I have no idea why I'm here, but, but hello. Uh, it's because I butt-dialed you, um, <laughs> and that's, that's pretty much the story of our <laughs> conversation. Okay, uh, Russell, you're going to have to play counselor. We've got <laughs> <laughs> so, That's your um, job, man. I hear you. I hear you. I'm I'm up for it. Um, but David, you can never say that again. Uh, not even not even like not on mic. <laughs> so here here's here's the thing, uh, uh, audience. Uh, we did this show uh, yesterday, most of this show, uh, but we have some technical difficulties, and so some of what uh, you might hear. Um, in this show, maybe a little bit repetitious from yesterday. You may see uh, Russell and I wearing different clothes, uh, strangely in different parts of the episode. Uh, it's because I'm splicing a couple of shows together. And if none of that happens, it's because this show is so good, I just ditched the last one. I don't know what's going to happen in post, folks. So I'm just preparing you for everything. Um, and uh, there might be some glitchiness going on. Skype is Skype, but it is a real thing, and it is in America. And uh, I am in the part of the coast that's about to get hit with 14 to 18 inches of snow, um, probably within hours of the time you hear this. And so a lot of things are going weather-wise, um, and that might make things a little dicey. So well, I got uh, eight inches down here last night. So did you? Did, it, yeah, it, it, and how area. about the snow? Yeah, yeah, yeah never mind. Inches, buddy. I didn't get it, man. Let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. It, it's it's hilarious in a blue kind of way. Don't worry about it. Oh. Um, <laughs> let me just say, I haven't seen eight inches in a while. Um, <laughs> and there goes the family terrible game. <laughs> right. The snow. It's going to be, uh, be a fun show. Let's eight to fourteen inches is what I'm saying. <laughs> It, it was bad the first time. I'll be honest with you. It's because Andrew is on the line. And um, I don't I, I don't hold truthfully it, I don't hold say I've never way. had anything to do with any inches. Of <laughs> it's, it's all him. I'm just saying. Um, so what we're going to we're going to pick up uh, with um, some of my points, and I'm sure that uh, Russell has some points and some counterpoints. I want to pick up a little bit uh, where we stepped off last time, um, and that's with uh, Christian epistemology, and I can speak mostly to that pretty well because I was a Christian, and so the last time I had uh, any kind of systematic epistemology, it was when I was a Christian. Uh, and I can tell you, one of the hard things about um, walking away from Christianity is that you're not certain about anything anymore. Uh, you know, when I was a Christian, I was certain about everything. I, I had, you know, at least a sense of confidence and certainty uh, about morality, politics, um, uh, science, things that I believed in. I felt like that certainty uh, was lent to the type of Christianity um, 
that I had. Uh, and I'm sure that Andrew can probably speak to that a little bit too. But when I, once I walked away from Christianity, I looked around me and I realized I, I didn't know which way was up. Uh, what is true? How do you tell what's true anymore? Um, and so, Andrew, I'm going to give you a chance to jump in a little bit, but I'm just going to go over uh, the three things uh, that I walked away from uh, with my uh, epistemological certainty. And this is this is what I had, and this is what I still think after many uh, conversations with Christians uh, is underlying for Christians. So there are three things, three points. One is the internal spirit. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, the internal spirit or the internal witness of the Holy Spirit or the indwelling of the Spirit. Um, the second thing is uh, faith, faith as a, a way of knowing truth. And then the third thing, the word of God. So let me just uh, break those three down really quickly, uh, and I will pass the ball. So as far as the internal spirit, I, I look to 1 Corinthians 2.14. This is, um, I think, the seminal passage uh, in the New Testament for uh, Christian epistemological thought. Uh, a person who does not have that, this is uh, chapter two, verse 14. Um, a person who does not have the spirit does not accept the truths that come from the spirit of God. That person thinks they are foolish and cannot understand them because they can only be judged to be true by the spirit. And I just want to run over a couple of things right there real quick. Uh, the person, this is the person who does not have the spirit of God. They think they are foolish. The they here are the, the truths of the Spirit uh, of God. Um, and it, if you just stop reading there, uh, I've, I've read this in several translations. So depending on what translation you have, uh, ultimately it, it's all saying the same thing. If you just stop right there, it sounds like it's saying, well, it's, it's the person's problem who doesn't have the Holy Spirit because they just refuse to believe. It's because they don't want to believe. But just reading a few words more, it says, it gives the reason why they think those things are foolish. Uh, they can only be judged to be true by the Spirit. Uh, and so you have to have this internal thing by the Spirit in order to be able to judge the things of the Spirit as true. This is a clear epistemological statement. Uh, and so this is a thing that I very much believed as a Christian. As a non-Christian, I can say if I don't have this uh, this spirit that uh, Paul is talking about here, there is no way for me to understand uh, the truths of the spirit because I simply don't have the epistemological tools to do it. Um, the second point uh, is faith. So I would look uh, at a couple of passages, John uh, 20, 19. These are both very familiar. Uh then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen. Now, this is right after uh, Jesus met with his uh, 12, and he's uh, met with Thomas now uh, for the first time post-resurrection. Uh, he shows Thomas the, the holes in his side, holes in his hands, and uh, then Thomas says, okay, I believe. Uh, you're my Lord, my God. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you see me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Now, this is a, a stark contrast between believing based on evidence that you can see and believing um, based on faith. The other passage I would bring in very quickly, Hebrews chapter 11, one, probably the most famous passage uh, on, on this subject. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. 
it is the evidence of things we cannot see. I like the uh, King James Version uh, a little bit better just because of the poetry. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Um, skeptics are often talking about things like substance and evidence, and Paul just kind of hijacks that language and says, you know what, if you want evidence, what you've got is faith. Uh, that That is the stand-in for the things that you can't see. Um, the third uh, epistemological tentpole I want to erect is the Word of God. Uh, John 17, 17 uh, is the one I landed on, but there are lots of passages for this. This is when Jesus is praying his final prayer uh, in uh, Gethsemane, Gethsemane. This is toward the end of his prayer, uh, talking about his disciples. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth is something uh, that you can see repeated throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so what we have are the three pillars of what I consider Christian epistemology. Uh, it, it's, a thing is true, and you can know that it's true because of the eternal witness of the Holy Spirit. Two, it's true because your faith uh, tells you it's true. And three, it's true because God's word tells you it's true. I reject all of these things. And so I think this is where, for me, the conversation starts. This still doesn't tell me that still doesn't tell you, or me for that matter, what is the correct uh, epistemological format. But I can say without a shadow of a doubt, um, my journey starts here, where I think these are not uh, good and proper epistemologies. Uh, Russell, uh, feel free to um, rebut and uh, also make whatever statement that you might have prepared. Well, I don't have a statement, David, because I think I'm out. I, I think. <laughs> I wasn't able to prepare one because you never sent me notes to say what we're going to discuss again. So, <laughs> uh, but like you say, we're professionals and we can we can make do with what we're given. I look at First uh, Corinthians chapter two a little bit different than you. Um, I would say I would say that you know this is uh, uh, a natural person doesn't understand the things of the spirit for they are foolishness to him. And they cannot understand them because they are not spiritually disturbed. I don't know where you're, you know, there's, you're talking about this inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, there's this idea of total depravity when it comes to sin and the effects of sin, obviously. But I don't think with these three pillars that this is all there is to epistemology. You know, you're talking about these are the three pillars of Christian epistemology. I don't think they are. Like I said, I and I think I, I said this yesterday, uh, I take a lot of things from a lot of different epistemologists. So I I don't really have a statement on them. I do agree with some of them. Um, if you want to get specific on them and ask me questions about them, I mean, that's, that's fine. Um, do I believe in an inner witness of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I do. I believe in, um, I don't use it when I when I make arguments, because I think, again, there's a lot more better ways to present a, a solid epistemology um, than to give you my own subjective experience. Um, uh, Hebrews 11, you know, I think that's about evidence. You said skeptics say that, but I don't see it that way. I, I look at it as, you know, historically, uh, these guys, the, these guys, uh, had the idea of gods in their minds uh, all the time. Uh, it was a big part of the culture, so I don't know if it was uh, taken by skeptics or 
or what, but as just reading it in, in its historical context, I, I would have to say that uh, that's not the case. But I, that's that's where I, I guess I'd go with that. So. Okay. Um, just so you know, I I heard maybe one in fifteen words <laughs> because we we're having that again? skip. Yes. However, uh, I was able to confirm yesterday, at least uh, somewhat, that the audience can hear you. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I heard both of you completely I, clearly. Uh, okay. So I am. I am on my end. I'm having trouble hearing Russell because it's it's. Um, cutting out a lot um however once again i know that the audience can hear you if andrew can hear you that's fantastic um <laughs> glad to glad to know so uh andrew uh would you then do me the favor of playing moderator so that you can uh you might comment on both of these things and summarize what russell said so that i can make sure that i got all of it sure so I actually have questions for both of you. Uh, Andrew, and, are you speaking? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Russell, can you hear me? I can, hear, I can you. hear you just fine, Andrew. I okay. can't hear you either, Russell. <laughs> um, okay, oh. so it might be that the best thing I can do for this podcast is to walk away from it and let you and Andrew talk because I cannot hear what you are saying. Um, so why don't you and Andrew uh, carry on a little bit, and I will see if I can do something sure. Uh, sure. different well, to, to like join to in. So go ahead, me. Andrew, and uh, pick pick up. Okay. So I think where I want to start with what you said, Russell, and uh, yeah. I, I did not realize that we were going to get handed off this way, so if it gets a little <laughs> rough and ready, uh, I'm preparing my thoughts entirely on the fly. So, so am I, man. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> All right. We're so, both in the same boat. So happy to be sharing a mic with a professional. I won't, uh, I won't say that I am one. <laughs> well, I'm an amateur too, man. So, you know. <laughs> so I want to start um, with total depravity. Um, I think my problem with the concept of total spiritual depravity is that it doesn't hold up very well uh in the secular world. So we think of total depravity, the idea that that someone without God is is uh, is nothing but a sinner, uh, that that kind of idea. Um, as far as I can tell, people that aren't Christians can lead lives that are as uh, successfully giving and as successfully integrated into their community as the lives of Christians. Uh, David and I were talking about this in the run-up to the show, that I would happily take my life uh, today and not only compare it to the baseline of my life as a Christian, but compare it to even the high watermarks of Christians. And I think what we would find, there might be some areas where we disagree, but I think largely what we would find is that the idea of total depravity uh, is is one that we just couldn't. I, I don't. I don't think you would agree that by that standard, I am totally depraved. And so I don't really understand in the Calvin's tulip sense the idea of total depravity, because as far as I can tell, um, goodness doesn't come 
from accepting the the concept of total depravity or any of the of the rest of of Calvin's tulip. Uh, the the idea of goodness is something that we agree on by how we uh, by how we interact with each other. Yeah, I hear you, man. I, I would not I would not apply that to a secular source without uh, going through a sort of rigorous uh, talk about does God exist? Because I mean, if we establish God exists, and we we can get into the theology of it, right? Sure. So I, I don't I, I would never start out with that. And I also don't think that uh, when we're talking about doing good deeds and doing stuff like that, I don't think that's the depravity that that is talked about here. I, I know we can live okay. good lives. I, I know atheists can live better lives than some people that claim to be Christians, actually. So I mean there's not there's you know, there's no issue there. So okay, I'm yeah. I'm back, just so you know. Oh, you're okay. back. Can you I, hear us? I am. I can hear you perfectly. Uh, so I'm using um, I'm using the same headphones, but with a very expensive wire, as opposed to wireless. And so, for whatever reason, Skype was having trouble feeding uh, wirelessly these headphones. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, give your question to David, Andrew? Okay, so. In fact, um, Andrew, uh, as awkward as it, as it is for the audience, I really want to know what Russell said. Sure. <laughs> so, would you would you just uh, uh, do a quick recap uh, after I stop talking? <laughs> yes. So, Russell, um, without perfect recall, add whatever you want to add back to this. Okay. Okay. So, um, what I working backward, what I just took issue with with Russell was the idea of total spiritual depravity, uh, part of Calvin's tulip. Mm -hmm. And I suggested that uh, it was possible for people with an entirely secular view of the world to live lives that that simply don't look depraved in, mm -hmm. in the sense of. So when when I hear the term spiritual depravity, uh, what I think of are the things that Christians would typically call sins. And, and mm -hmm. we, don't have to, we don't have to like list them. If you're a Christian, you know what things you think are sins, and whether you think skeptics uh, and atheists are sinful, you probably mean by depravity that when you, when you say spiritually depraved or that they are totally depraved, you're talking about your concept of sin. Not by always. It's okay. it's more it's more dealt with how we respond to God, and the call of the Spirit. So that that's what that's really kind of uh, what it talks about. Because you know Jesus justifies it as well. I'm not a Calvinist, by the way. So uh, fair enough. Yeah. So I I would see you know they would say there's uh, there's like some sort of uh, idea that. You know, Jesus even says that, you know, you know, who give, when their kid is hungry, who gives them a rock when they want bread. Right. So there is that as well. I mean, it's not that it's it has to do with the spirit uh, that 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 sin over time and your nature uh, stifles, so to speak. That so, sin yeah, would, over time. So we are actually talking about. Well, no, some no, kind it's not. Sin. Well, yeah, we're talking about sin and and nature. Maybe, yeah, sin, sin and human nature. Yeah. So, uh, 
not in the aspect of like you can live a good life, but in the in the call and response to God. Okay, so before I respond to that, I want to pick a bone with with David too and say something that I think okay, you're both good. going to find pretty surprising. But I, I want to come back and just leave this question on the board between the two of you. Does responding to God mean that we no longer have a human nature? So I just want to leave that on the board between the two of you. And David, you quoted John 17, 17 uh, up front. Mm. Uh, Sanctify them through your truth. Mm. Your word is true. In, in some sense, I want you to tell me what you think. In some sense, I don't have a problem uh, with John 17, 17 minus the word sanctification. So if it read this way, for instance, educate them in truth, your word is truth. Um, as long as we weren't speaking of, uh, of a truth that couldn't be analyzed and verified, that couldn't be tested, it would almost, it would almost, be, um, uh, it would almost be benign, right? So, so the problem with John 17, 17 is not uh, it, well, it's twofold. It's sanctification, and what and what Christian epistemology goes into the rest of that verse. Your word is truth. So let me let me uh, jump in um, uh, real quick here. Then uh, sanctify. Uh, I'll just start with that one. Uh, sancti sanctify uh, them with your truth doesn't actually bother me. Uh, that just sounds like uh, religious gobbledygook, uh, Christian speak. Uh, easily ignored, it doesn't mean anything. The last part of it, though, your word is truth. It's it's not saying your word is true, as in I've listened to your word and compared it to reality, and I found it to be true. It is your word is truth. It is the essence of truth. It is, it's kind of like the morality issue. It's not saying, you know, when someone says God is good, they're not saying I've looked at God's behavior and compared it to the standard of goodness and he meets that standard. It's saying that God is the standard for good. And in the same way, God's word is the standard for truth. And so I, I take very much take exception uh, to that. As far as the, the total depravity type thing, I've had... Um, a few conversations uh, about this with Dale, and you know he has interesting answers uh, here, and I'm sure that uh, we'll hear some of them next week, as Dale will be one of our featured uh, guests uh, on our on the first of our panel discussions on this. Uh, but just maybe to preview uh, some of that, uh, if we are total, if we are depraved in any way, uh, so you can say total depravity, but just in the way that Paul means in First Corinthians two fourteen. If we are so depraved that we lack the spirit to understand spiritual things, and if we are all lacking that spirit, how on earth does anyone come to the knowledge of Christ and come to the place where they would believe him? Because the only way you can understand spiritual things is to have the spirit. And if none of us has it, how do you get it? Dale's answer would be that uh, this this spirit of understanding is a gift of God, uh, and some of us are just more busted than others, and so maybe God gives us all equal portions, but the ones that are less busted, 
uh, can use that and come to a knowledge of God's word. And those like me who are too busted never can. We're we're rusty screws and we have too much rust for the Holy Spirit rustoleum. Uh, that's that's kind of uh, how that uh, has cashed out each time uh, Dale and I have spoken. But I, yeah, I want to put I, it that way. But yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you're saying. I see where I, you're I going. find that I find that wholly yeah. unsatisfying. Well, of course, you're going to. You're not. Uh, I mean, we're talking theology at this point. You know, well, we're but in it's, that it's not just that we're talking theology. We're just talking. We're just speaking speculatively at that point about things that we can't show. No. <laughs> no, I mean, no, we're talking theology at that point. I would not use that argument. I wouldn't even come to you with that argument if we haven't even established that God exists. Okay. So, then, so then, David, what is it that you have, David Russell, what is it yeah. that you have that David Johnson doesn't have in regard to epistemology? I, I don't well, want to well, search yeah, at you guys, I, you but know, I think I, that's I, where I, we are. <laughs> Well, what do you, you know, have I, with epistemology that he doesn't have? I don't have anything that he doesn't have epistemology. Well, Second Corinthians two fourteen wise, you do, because well, you I mean, you have the knowledge about, of spiritual if, things. Well, you know, I look like I said, I look at this from a multifaceted aspect. I think that's just one aspect of of epistemology. So, so let's focus on that one. I'm aspect. not. I don't even know if that's correct. I, I would have to think about it. I, I don't. I, you know, I don't even. You don't know if, if what Paul said is correct. No, I didn't say that. Okay, what I said so was, I don't even know if if this is a branch of epistemology uh, that it's actually warranted as a branch of epistemology. Uh, you, you know, just I, I like I said, I look at that verse a little bit different. Uh, okay, well, I also just, just tell me where that, you look at it differently. I want to. I just want to walk through it a little bit at a time because I want to understand it. Because when I was a Christian, this you know, was I a fundamental. Was, this was a fundamental epistemological statement and i want to know how you read it so a person who does not have the spirit does not accept the truths okay, so, that come okay. from the spirit of god do you agree with that but a natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of god for they are foolishness to him. okay yes, do you agree with you that think, yeah that you think they're ridiculous okay and so I think were you, you were you ever a natural person <laughs> in the show yeah were you ever a natural person uh yeah yeah I would say so. You you were once a person who didn't have the spirit, yeah. and you and you didn't accept the truths that came from the spirit of God. Sure. All right. So how did you get it? I invited Christ into my life. How did yeah. how did you get the um enough spirit to invite Christ into your life? Uh, I don't think we're totally enabled. I don't know. I'm not mean. a Calvinist. Okay, but I'm asking how you got it. it so you're um, not a Calvinist. How did, because how did he, the people that that have an ear, let him hear. I mean, it, it, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Okay, but so, it says it says also. I don't I don't want to leave the passage because there's there's stuff here that I'm not sure works think, out. The next I sentence. The I think the context here is. It's talking about people that I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to leave the passage. I want to make sure that we understand the words uh, that are being said the same way. That person thinks they, they being the truth of the spirit, are foolish and cannot understand them. So if you don't have the spirit, you can't understand the things that. of the spirit. I, I don't see that, but a natural okay, you person. You disagree with Paul? Or they? No, I do not. I think you're reading it out of context. 
uh, they are foolishness to him. They are foolishness to you. Why? Because you have you're you're dead set against it. You're already against it. You don't want it. <laughs> okay, but, but why does it say that I can't understand? It doesn't say it because I. It doesn't say it because I don't want it. It says because they can only be judged. They these yes, truths of the spirit exactly what it says. It can says, only be excuse me. They can only be judged to be true by the spirit. Do you want now, me if to I don't have the spirit? Do you want me to answer yes. it from my view or not? Yes, I'm just. Right, I'm just so trying to. But a natural person does not accept the things of the spirit for they are foolishness to him. Okay, yeah, they are so foolishness I, to you. Exactly, so, I agree. Yeah, okay. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Right. These yeah. these truths are spiritually discerned. You don't, yeah. So you don't right. um, you don't So want I don't it. have the spirit. The truths are spiritually discerned. So why am I ever going to take the leap and say invite Christ into my life? Because I don't have the spiritual discernment to do that. How do I get that? Because well, according to Paul, I can't, I don't have it. Well, of course, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I mean, there's there's, there's okay. a whole process to this, right? Okay. I mean, there is hey, a guys. whole theology behind this. But when I hear, it, but when hey, I hey, hear it, Paul says they're foolishness to you me. You can't and just they focus are. on hold, one verse. You have to look at the, the, the hold on, entirety hold, of, of Paul's words together, right? Okay. Hold, hold, let me let me draw a line between you for a second. Let's All right, let's go ahead, Andrew. We're 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 clenching on the ropes. Let's let's uh, let's break and come back to the middle of the map. We have two propositions. David Johnson, you have been accused of being closed to any spiritual truth. Russell, you're saying that there is a process by which someone uh, can become open to spiritual discernment. And once they are uh, awakened to that possibility, there's a path that they follow to be sanctified and, and ultimately, I presume, accept some version of Christianity like you do. David Johnson, are you in fact closed entirely? Do you approach the idea of spirituality um, with, with a completely closed mind? Yeah, I think that's the wrong question. I would rather use the biblical language. I think it's foolishness. That that's okay. good biblical language, right? So okay, but um, are you are you are you in fact a, a vessel of destruction? I don't know. You'll have to ask the one who made me. Um, <laughs> well, I have no idea. Okay. Uh, so, am I closed? Uh, there, let me put it this way. There are a lot of things, both theologically and scientifically and philosophically, that I've come to believe that I didn't once believe, and things that I used to believe that I don't believe. So I think that I am fa a, a fairly open-minded person. I read books by authors who I don't agree with uh, on, on subjects, and I listen to their treaties. I actually pay for books, and I read them. Uh, to understand their opinions. This, this is not the behavior of one that you would call closed. So I don't want to address that so much as I would address that when I do listen to Christians speak and when I do take the time uh, to look at their arguments, I agree with Paul. They sound like foolishness to me. Okay. Well, David here's, Russell. here's something. Hold on. Here's something. And uh, this is where I would come in. You know, Greg Kokel does a very good thing he says never read a bible verse right you need to read verse 10 when paul's talking about this down in corinthians i know you came from a very uh care or 
fundamentalist background, David, so I can understand why you would just read that Bible verse and why people would preach on that Bible verse alone. But if you Russell, look at verse I've 10, read the entire a Bible in its entirety in double-digit uh, numbers. Okay, man, I do, but but that doesn't change uh, <laughs> theological bias. Uh, you would have to change theological bias. Okay, uh, but, I so, I mean, but, I mean it, before, just, before you just make that statement, you should, you should no, know I'm about— I'm okay. asking you. So you know, you I, should, have, I didn't finish. So you should be aware that that the the straw man you're building does not look like me. I'm not building you a straw man. I'm asking you basically because you just did it. You took one verse and you centered on one verse. And if you look at verse ten down, it's it's describing something completely different. So no, there's I've, I've read the chapter passage. many times, and I've and I focused on the passage that I think is most central to what is being said. Yeah, one of the yeah, one of the cheap tricks yeah. of apologists who don't have an argument uh, is to yell context. Uh, they go streaking through a crowded room and say, context! Or uh, maybe it, it's as because... If, <laughs> as if to say, if you don't quote the entire Bible when you quote this verse, then it's out of context and no, you shouldn't let, that's no, bullshit. Or maybe, um, no, or maybe it's just like we're asking you to read everything like you would I have, read uh, Russell, I don't even know yeah. you well, and I guarantee you I've read it more uh, often and more deeply than you're going to in the next 10 years. Okay, but I'm <laughs> David Russell. How, how David that's a wrong right. competition to have. <laughs> David, David I, Russell. I, yeah, let, yeah go let, ahead. Me, let me give you an opportunity. Sure. You say that you say that First Corinthians two, fourteen and on, is being taken out of context by David. John. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so do me the favor of providing the context and answering the question that I left for you, which is: David was a Christian in the past, as I was. I've I've done the whole sinner's prayer thing. Honestly, by the way, when I say the whole sinner's prayer thing, I'm not being dismissive or or diminutive about the, the process or the attempt. Uh, I simply say the whole sinner's prayer thing uh, to uh, you know, paint a picture of having gone through the entire process without funding, okay? uh, attempting to accept. Now, what is David missing in context? Absolutely. And how does that fit into the idea of, of tell us the process. If there is a process, what is he missing in context, and what is the process that David Johnson follows to become spiritually open? Well, I think he's missing what verse 10 says, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Uh, okay. for, for who among those people knows the thoughts of a person except for the Spirit of the person that is in him? So also the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Uh, you see, so it goes through this entire uh, list, and the process that we would say is revelation, right? So God would reveal it. God would would open you to that. Uh, faith comes by hearing. So, I mean, there's several different avenues we can look at this, but I don't even think, again, this is dealing with epistemology just in general. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it, unless you're just talking about spiritual things. This is dealing with epistemology. The passage that you read does not change uh, anything that I said about verse 14. I'm very familiar with it. But let's let's just take this uh, assertion that you keep trying to put in there that, uh, you know, one of the methods to get uh, past this is by hearing, because faith comes by hearing. Uh, I want you to tell me how that works when Paul says 
the very words in the very passage that I am using that you were saying is out of context, that they do not understand it because it's foolishness to them. So when I hear this word that that is preached by, you know, whatever street vendor uh, is dishing out God's word that day, you know what it's going to sound to me? Paul says it's going to sound foolish. And guess what? He's right. It does. So if you're saying, well, faith comes by this foolishness, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. These things are very contradictory to me. So tell me how that works, that I'm going to come to faith by hearing the word that I think is foolish. Well, I mean, you're you're forgetting that you have volition, right? So you have the well, ability no, to accept Paul it says Paul doesn't say anything about volition. He says the difference is that I don't have the spirit of God within me. That's the difference. And you're saying, well, the way to get the spirit of God is to listen to the word being preached, which Paul and says, I'm going to find foolish. And trust in it. No, it's no. I, I okay. can't. Um, because <laughs> right there, right you, there guys. There's a, there's a no, lot hang, to hang the on. story. You want no, you to say. You want to remove verse 14 because it's inconvenient for you. But no, he, verse he 14. Doesn't. No, I don't. Here's, I want it. I want it taken in the entirety of how it's supposed to be taken. You, I want to you, read you want to read the whole Bible no, no. and then try to try to pretend that verse fourteen doesn't work. Look, that's okay. That's no, that's a cool part little trick, but it doesn't work. Hold on, it's not a hold trick. On. It's just part of the story. Hold on, you can't hold just on. isolate a verse. Hold, hold on, we're, we're on the ropes. We're clinching again. We're gonna come back to the middle of the mat. Now we've painted the epistemological difference. Here's the problem that we have, it does center around 1 Corinthians 2.14. David Johnson, I think you would say that there's a this, this idea of, it, of accepting the Holy Spirit is simply a thing that has not been demonstrated to you. In, in order to accept these ideas in the, in the Christian New Testament, if it is to come by this, this Holy Spirit, then all the Holy Spirit needs to is, uh, is make himself uh, known to you in, in some meaningful way. Or, David or Russell. open my heart in some meaningful way. So even sure, if he doesn't make himself known to me, if he can do whatever heart surgery the Holy Spirit is supposed to do so that when I hear the word the next time, it doesn't sound foolishness, that would that would be now, fine. Sure. Now, David Russell, here's the problem that David Johnson has. David doesn't see that the the claims of the New Testament are actually claims that can be backed up by his epistemology. And the claim, the thing that you seem to be asking, I'm not saying that you are, I'm asking you to clarify if you're not. Uh, the 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 thing that you seem to be asking is for David Johnson to set aside an epistemological uh, framework that works for him and accept this other epistemological framework ahead of time without any verification that it will work for him in any meaningful way. Okay, now we're back in the middle of the mat. David Johnson, do you agree with my characterization of your position? I certainly think that's part of it. Uh, sure, okay. I think that I think that in particular, having read the context, but we can take the whole uh, whole chapter of First Corinthians chapter two. I don't mind. Um, 
in this particular context, when you get to verse 14, what comes before and afterwards doesn't matter in for my argument that I'm making. You have a problem, and it's a problem of circular reasoning. Uh, what Russell wants to say is, well, all you got to do is hear the word. But Paul has already taken that into account, and he has said that I'm going to determine that it's foolishness. Why? Because there is a tool, a mechanism for understanding the word and hearing it properly, and that is the spirit, and that mechanism is what I don't have. And so that seems to foreclose on the simple idea that David Russell uh, wants to give. And he's he's trying to provide answers that don't take 1 Corinthians 2.14 into account. And any answer he gives is going to have to take that into account and explain how that works for me. Because the epistemology of the verse is they can only, the truths of the Spirit can only be judged to be true by the Spirit. And the okay. spiritual person has that, and the non-spiritual person doesn't. And so it's it's almost as if it's saying that Russell has access to certain truths that are spiritual truths that I don't have access to. The thing that I would ask Russell is name me an example, just give me an example of some truth that you have access to as a spiritual person that I do not. David Russell, go. Say, ask that one more time. What? Uh, give me an example of a spiritual truth that you have access to because you have the spirit that I don't have because I don't have the spirit. Off the top of my head, geez, I would say uh, salvation. <laughs> okay, well, that, so um, in what sense that is that a spiritual? In what sense is that a spiritual truth rather than an outcome? Because we're atoned for and we're going through a sanctification process. I guess. Okay, right. I, I, so, so I'm not. So, yeah. but sorry, just to just to stay on that point, um, the reward for leading a Christian life is eventual salvation. Of course, yeah. uh, right. Well, no, so, I mean, well, salvation's we're saved now. I mean, right okay, now. But you you seem to say earlier, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm trying to understand so that you two can continue this. If there's a process to get, to, there has to be a process to get to salvation. Let me tell you what the Church of Christ would have said. There's five steps to salvation in the Church of Christ. Hearing the Word of God, believing that the Word of God is true, repenting of one's sins based on the understanding of, of that Word of God that one heard, being baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins uh, in order to overcome all of that recognition when you repented, all of that recognition of sin. You're now baptized and it's washed away in the blood of the Lamb. And from that moment after you leave the baptistry, in fact, when your head breaks the surface of the water, you are to rise as a new creature and walk uh, in the fullness of Christian life. Now that's a process. Salvation is that thing that happens after that long process, hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. In your view, what is the process to get to salvation? That's what David's, David Johnson has been asking. Well, I think once you—well, I don't think he was asking that, but uh, I think he was asking what spiritual truths 
uh, that I might have. I only know what God. Is That's the most recent question, but it's fun yeah. on the idea. Yeah. So let, me, let me let me so, let me let me help Russell out then. I, yeah, what, I don't know if I'm understanding this correctly. What or, you what you two. said, yeah, but that's okay. What you said just now, um, Russell, is that when you were asked to name a spiritual truth that you had access to uh, because you have the Spirit, that I don't. Because I don't, you said salvation. And in talking about that, you said, well, we're saved now. You believe that Christians are saved now. You're in a saved state. Is that is that correct? Yes. Okay, great. So not a trick question. Uh, I can say that as a non-spiritual person, uh, I don't believe that I am unsaved. And I don't believe that you are saved. I don't see in any way that you are okay, saved. So, yeah, yeah, so I am not unsaved. About, so when we're talking so, about epistemic, epistemology here epistemology would be how yeah. do you know that I'm, I'm, i take it that the spirit yeah. is giving you some kind of inner witness of that because i see no way to determine that you are saved and i am not okay so so david i would try to approach this and this is what i've been trying to get to and maybe i'm not doing a good job of it but you're doing fine um where do we get i think I believe, just as as you probably do, that any claim to knowledge requires justification. Okay, so I do come at it like that. So maybe I'm not in the same camp as every other Christian when it comes to uh, how to deal with how to know things. You know, I, I'm sure there's several Christians that have different epistemologies than me. There, obviously, there's you uh, exegete the passage in First Corinthians two fourteen is totally different than I do. Yeah, so, I read the um, words that it says. It, yeah, obviously so. you don't understand them. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, because I don't have the spirit. And so... <laughs> and, you know, like... I, Can't okay, win. So I'm not trying to tackle this. I'm not trying to tackle this from a hundred different theological positions. All right? Because, you know... Well, me either. I'm just trying to... I'm just like, trying Andrew to... listed uh, the Church of Christ's process of salvation. Right? So... Uh, the Calvinists would jump in there and say, hey, there's a regeneration uh, before, and it's because you're elect and so forth. Right. Um, I, I Maybe I, because I'm an Arminian, I'm, I'm a little bit or I just slash Molinist. I just want you to speak on how you know you are saved versus me not being saved, because that, I, that might be an example of what I asked for. I asked okay. for something that you wouldn't know that's a spiritual truth that I wouldn't know because I don't have the spirit. And and so you mentioned that. I accept that. How do you come by that knowledge? Because yeah. that's an epistemological question. <laughs> what tool are you using to know that you are saved that I don't have? Well, the words of Christ. So okay. I think so I that was one of my in, that was one of my his... three points, right? The, the yeah, word I trust of God. in his word. Yeah, I yeah God said it. I believe it. That I was right. settled. Epistemologically, David Russell. Uh, yeah. so, so I'm going to I'm going to drag you guys back to epistemology. And and this will oh, still include first Corinthians 214 and following. But we're going to we're going to back out about a thousand feet and talk about epistemology. Uh, well, we're going to talk about that, too, but we're going to talk about epistemology. Uh, as it relates to your your idea, David Russell, that you trust the the words of Christ, which, by the way, it's First Corinthians two fourteen. It's not, but and following, but those are the words of Paul. But you trust the the words of Jesus. 
David Johnson does not. Yeah. That's what true. epistemological tools did you use that caused you to trust the words of Jesus? David Johnson. Conversely, what epistemological tools did you use that caused you not to trust those same words? Yeah, so I'll give it in 10 seconds. Um, I said in my opening that there were three pillars of Christian epistemology. Inter, inner witness of the Holy Spirit, uh, Word of God, Bible said so, and uh, faith. Uh, Russell is not going to give you anything other than that. Everything he says is going to fall into one of those buckets. And at the end of the day, uh, if you believe that those are bad buckets with poison water, uh, as I do, you will agree that uh, Russell has no uh, good basis for epistemology at all. So we've already seen him dip uh, his his uh, his dipper into one of the poison buckets, which is uh, Word of God. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm just waiting for the faith hammer to drop, and we will we will be complete. So. Okay, that was, David, that's 10 David seconds Russell, in my book anyway. I, I have a feeling that the way David uh, captured uh, your thoughts, they don't, they don't, I have a feeling that you don't agree. Uh, so how did you determine epistemologically that the words of Jesus are true and accurate? Did it require a Holy Spirit? Or can you do this this thing? Can you can you come to trust the words of Jesus without some? Uh, can you do it with the same epistemology, a, a completely empirical and natural epistemology? Can you whoa, get whoa, there whoa, with whoa. that? I mean, there's no. I don't think there is just. There's several ways to look at epistemology. You can't just say of course I, verification I, no, I, with well, verification principles. Hold, hold on. Yeah. So uh, hold on. What I asked was, I didn't say that there weren't multiple ways to look at epistemology. I absolutely agree that there are multiple ways to, to look at epistemology. David Johnson, on the other hand, is a naturalist self-proclaimed. So I'm on very solid materialist. ground. <laughs> materialist, physicalist, uh, naturalist. naturalist. Yes, I enjoy a nude um, beach. Um, <laughs> so... Yes. All so, of that. So here's what you need to know, David Russell. David Johnson and I have now been friends for 40 years. Okay. I, I, I know David. So and, and we've never been um, on a beach together, by the way. Nor is it likely that we will. For the Especially hour. after today. Never going to. So, okay. okay. So, so, David Russell, can you get to this knowledge of, of trust in the words of Jesus using... A, com a completely empirical epistemology. Wow, I I don't know. Can you, can uh, you, David I, Russell, get there? Well, you're, you're asking me from the beta point of somebody that already believes, so I, I don't know if, I, uh, you know, well, how so it I'm happened I'm asking you me. because if you can, you can teach other, you can teach other methodological naturalists to do it. If you can't, if you can't, then the the problem of the Christian story is that it simply it simply can't be taught to methodological naturalists. That's why I'm asking you, and that's the important that's the state. If, if it requires a supernatural well, component you know, okay, to get someone so, to believe it, then we can't believe it. 
Yeah, but you know, there's several ways to look at, at where that supernatural component is, such as like we believe that the Bible's inspired. So if you read the Bible, that's already the Holy Spirit working there. So uh, there's several steps that. Right, but that, you would have to that believe that the Bible's this, inspired. I think at some point you have to choose if uh, the Bible is inspired. You also have to, at some point you'll have to believe uh, that you know the the word is reliable just like anything else you have to even 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 like andrew's saying you know an empirical epistemology you have to believe that that is true uh you have to come to that point why why is why is your belief in verificationism well, uh, uh so strong i would ask that i mean so it comes down sure. to a fundamental level and I, I just don't know how to answer that right now I, okay so i'm gonna know, throw so. it back to the two of you that's that's a good rejoinder that's a good rejoinder. David Johnson, as mm -hmm. I understand your position, you would say, right, but I don't have to believe in methodological naturalism first. The world that I live in, uh, every time I attempt to flout the rules of the world around me, like, like gravity or, or force or, uh, you know, or chemistry, when it, whenever I go against some natural law, it rears its ugly head and it slaps me in the face. And, and so I can deny it all I want, but right. it teaches me, uh, the, the world teaches me methodological naturalism. And right. your objection to David Russell has been in regard to spiritual epistemology, that somebody has to deliver that to you. And so is it true that the, that the, the break in this for you is that spiritual, this, this idea of trusting Jesus doesn't work because you can't come to it uh, through any way other than the Holy Spirit delivering it to you up front. Yeah, so that's uh, biblically speaking, that is the case. But I just want to I just want to speak about my own methodolo methodological naturalism. Uh, I I feel uncomfortable describing myself as a methodological naturalist. I, in fact, uh, I think if I were going to describe myself as anything, I'd say I'm a philosophical. Uh, uh, Natural philosophical naturalism, which is to say, I don't think there could be any other uh, mechanism besides naturalism. But right. again, you take it's a not, stronger stance than methodism. Yeah, I take I take a stronger stance. But once again, it's not because that's what I want to take. I don't want to take that. I didn't read a philosophy book when I was six, and then decide, you know, that looks good. I think I'll wrap my life around that. That's not how I got there. Uh, in fact, I was raised. Christian, as, as Christian out of the womb as you can. Uh, I believed in all kinds of supernaturalism. Uh, so uh, the, the way I came to my current belief is I tried all of the other beliefs, and at the end of the day, the only way things got done in my life and in the lives around me were physical. Those, those are the things that I could encounter. Uh, I never had a piece that passed understanding. Uh, I never heard a still small voice that wasn't a television uh, that was too low in volume. Uh, I, I never experienced any kind of uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I did experience gastritis uh, as a child, which is extremely painful and uh, emergency room inducing. Uh, I experienced all kinds of things in the physical world, and I didn't experience any of the things that uh, were talked about in any other world. And at the end of the day, uh, it wasn't prayer. 
that got my water pipes fixed. Uh, it was a wrench. <laughs> it, okay, it wasn't, so, uh, you know, it's right. at the at the end of the day, all I could access was the physical. And that's where I am now. And if there's a Christian who says, yes, but there's another realm and another component. I not only have I read more Bible than you, listener, I've read more science fiction than you. I would okay. love to visit this <laughs> other realm. I would love to see it. Please show it to me, and then I will be open to something else. But right now, life has shown me nothing else, and I have looked in every nook and cranny of life I could get into. Okay, David Russell. Wow. Do Hallelujah. You... Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so, I so love you, David. David I really do. <laughs> David Johnson has essentially just accused <laughs> you of hearing voices in your head. I need, a, I need another it's sip okay. of refreshing Diet Coke. Diet Coke. Have a Diet Coke and a smile. So, oh, go David ahead. Russell. David Russell. <laughs> Do you hear voices in your head? Okay, no, I'm kidding. Don't, oh my God! I have conversations <laughs> with myself. Okay, so no. <laughs> oh no. Okay, so so David Johnson has said that, and 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 here I think is going to be the problem that that you have to repair for for non-believers. David Johnson has said, "I live my life as a Christian. I live my life as a devout Christian." And what I didn't see was any evidence of this thing you call the Holy Spirit. And, and so now I think what you either have to say, uh, and maybe you've got a better way to answer this, but it, it seems like the obvious problem is either David Johnson is lying and he, he wasn't a devout Christian, or the Holy Spirit just doesn't deliver on the grounds that are claimed. Someone, someone uh, legitimately attempts to believe. They do all of the work necessary to become a Christian. And the Holy Spirit is absent on game day. What do you say? I would say he's suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Okay, so you're going to go <laughs> no, with that homonym attack. No, I would not. Okay. I would not really say that. No, no, I am not going the presuppositional route. <laughs> we got bombarded yesterday with a presuppositionalist on our open mic night. It was, it was pretty crazy. Oh wow! So, uh, By the so, way, I saw your uh, invite a little too late. Uh, yeah, no, that would have been fun. You know, we had Dale <laughs> came on. I was surprised he came on. Uh, but yeah. Um, okay, so I would say that this comes from if 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 I'm answering this correctly, if I understood you correctly, I think there is uh, a, a a witness of the Holy Spirit. I've already said that. Okay. okay, I've had it. Okay, hold. yep. Okay, Still waiting I do. On faith. I, I do. Well, you know, I I told you yesterday, David. You already have that one in the bag. I said be, belief plus truth equals okay, uh 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 knowledge. Mm -hmm. I I said that, and I went through a list of uh thinkers that that said the exact same thing. Yeah, it's just okay. that this show is uh, is is so, so much better than yesterday's. We may not use any of that footage, so. Oh my god! So <laughs> yeah, amazing. you got to use at least some of it. I'm, I'm gonna I try. Through I'm the history try. of epistemology. I know you did. I mean, it was great. Uh, it was uh, one of your finer moments. Uh, so what do you mean for to educate me, David? Uh, David Russell, I, and I don't want to sort circuit you. I want to want to help you fill out your answer. What do you mean, belief plus truth? Because as, when when I think of epistemology. And I think of the word 
truth. Uh, first of all, I don't capitalize it. There's no capital T truth. But when I when I think of belief and truth, it is essentially that that truth is some part of the things that I believe. I'm sure that I believe false things, uh, and and you know I don't want to, but I'm sure that I'm sure that there are false things I believe. So truth is that set of things that I believe that actually comport with reality. Is that yeah. what you mean when you say belief and truth? Belief plus truth? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, let me let me give you a quick example. All right, that I was given yesterday um, with this whole idea of belief and truth. All right, so you we look at a clock and it says three p.m. Right? Do you know the time at that point? Well, what if the clock's broken? But let's say it's still actually three p.m. Do you have a justified belief at that point? <laughs> you know, I mean, so sure. it, it, we, we do, um, you know, there's, there's there's different elements to the equation, right? So um, that's where I would come with belief plus truth. But yes, I would also agree with, yeah, what, what comports to reality too. Yes, absolutely. When it comes to okay. truth. So then as I understand the problem between you guys, and, and, and I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you go back to battling on this one because this is, this is where the problem is. Um, you have a belief, a thing that you think is true, that there is a Holy Spirit. David Johnson does not. One of you should be able to bring an epistemology to their claim that, that uh, David should either, David Johnson should be able to demonstrate epistemologically that he's at least on firm footing at the moment with lack of acceptance, uh, although David might actually go all the way to seven and, and say, yeah, there's no Holy Spirit, but, but he feels justified in his, in his lack of acceptance that there's a Holy Spirit, and you think he is not justified. And the challenge of this series of shows is to demonstrate the superior epistemology that gets one of you across the finish line. Well, hey, well, well, Andrew, and to be honest, you know, I'm not saying David doesn't have good reasons not to believe. I'm not. Okay. Because I, well, I, 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 I'm a Russellonian when it comes to that in epistemology. Uh, I, I think he may have good reasons to not believe. You know, he's he's talking I, about Bertrand Russell. He's not. Uh, yeah, he's not talking it. about yeah, himself. Yeah, right. David yeah, Russell. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm a I'm a Johnsonian <laughs> myself, but um, oh, you're Johnsonian. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> oh man! Wow. This is what the professor uh, described described him as the Cartesian Russellonian and the Morian. You know, so uh, I'm not. I, I don't. I don't take the approach at, like Moore does when it comes to David's skepticism, where you know I see my hands in front of my face and then mm. just. Tell him he's ridiculous, right? You know, okay, I, I can, wouldn't do can that. Can I so ask I you a just... question? I, look, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, 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 dis, I despise it. I do it way too often, and I'm sorry. But if you think that David Johnson um, is in some sense justified, in, in, to, to any degree at all, that he is justified in his, in his lack of acceptance of the Holy Spirit, to what extent can a God be justified in burning David Johnson in hell forever, which I which I agree might be a good idea, 
Sorry, sorry, sorry. For very different reasons. <laughs> no, but, but you see the problem. If there's, a, if there's an honest atheist, to what extent can there be an honest God that would burn one in hell forever because of lack of belief? I realize that this is not an epistemological question, and I don't really want to short circuit the conversation. But if you have a thought on that, I'm sure that I'm not the only one that asked the question in their head. Okay, yeah. Okay, so as Christians, we believe that that humanity is in rebellion to God, obviously. So there's that there's that whole theology that we would have to explore and we would have to get get into. And I don't I don't have anything prepared for that. I don't okay. want to. Right. I, you know, I'm, I'm the type of guy that 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 treads softly, you know, it, unless I'm really prepared, then I will stomp. You know, also, so. Russell does not believe in uh, burning in hell. Uh, he believes in eternal punishment and that it won't be good. But uh, if I recall correctly, he's not a, a, I'm more of a literal hellfire. Yeah. Okay, sorry. So not trying to hang a position on you that you that you don't support. It's okay. Um, I understand where you're coming from. I understand so what you're talking about. I think the question that I would follow on with is, if you thought God was wrong on the day of judgment, uh, would you fight for David Johnson? Would you would you say to your God, um, God, by the epistemology that I use, and by the way, it's the one that you gave me because you visited on me the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I understand the lights in the Bible. David Johnson was actually justified in his in his lack of belief. And I stand in solidarity with that non-believer. Could you do that? Would you challenge God on the basis of, of your stated claim that David might be justified in his lack well, of acceptance I, of Holy Spirit? I said David Johnson may have good reason, and you have to look at uh, okay, all right, fair enough. That's different yeah, so, than justification. So yeah, I completely accept that. Yeah, just like so, you might have good reason to believe it's three o'clock because you look at that clock, yet it's really not three o'clock and the clock is broken. Right. So okay. So and, and, so, and so your now, now let me now let me let me finish. Oh, sure. When it comes around to sure. disagreeing with God and so forth, I don't have all the knowledge. God does. So he would know. How do you know that? How do I know that? Yes. Because that's I, an epistemological yeah, claim. Well, well no, that, no, that God is is perfectly knowledgeable. God is God I mean, is the hypothesis. You, 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 okay. So in that hypothetical, you're asking me if I would disagree with God. Well, we're already standing before God. So at that point, I would pretty much know he is the being that knows everything. So I, I, I don't agree with that. I, I would, I would, I would trust him. So I want to, I want to go ahead. I want to go ahead and steer, steer back toward. We're talking um, about hypotheticals the, that yeah, we don't know, you know, yeah, I mean, let's, so we've, we've, we've talked about We've talked a little bit about uh, bucket one, the Holy Spirit, and we've talked to, we very little about bucket three. Well, it's in the Bible. Uh, one, by the way, that I completely dismiss as garbage. But the bucket two um, <laughs> is uh, is faith, which I think needs a little bit of treatment before we call this a program uh, and wrap it up as a nice package for the listeners. Uh, so I read... Um, uh, John 17, 17, uh, a passage so familiar that even Andrew could rem uh, know it by memory. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, what'd you say? 
Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, so he's actually memorized more Bible than me. Uh, but, you know, once I realized that you could get Bible on a smartphone, I stopped bothering trying to memorize it. I mean, what, what's the point? Um, anyway, um, John 17, 17, uh, I would like to get some feedback from you on that, Russell, because this is, a, this is one of those examples where it just seems like there's no other way to read it. Uh, you have a, a, a dichotomy set up where Thomas could believe Jesus and take him at his word that he's, that he's Jesus. Apparently there was something about Jesus that, that you know, struck all of the disciples as strange, that you know, just seeing him wasn't quite enough. But Thomas apparently had enough evidence where Jesus thought that he should believe. But Thomas wanted to see the same thing that the others saw. To be clear, the 11 also saw the holes in the hands and the holes in the side. This was not just a Thomas thing. Thomas wasn't there on that occasion. People read your Bibles. Uh, and on this occasion, Thomas was there. And he said, basically, I want to see what you showed them. Um, that's the essence. And Jesus uh, shows him. And then Thomas says, okay, I believe. And Jesus says, you only believe because you saw the evidence. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. That is an epistemological statement. And I want some feedback on that from a Christian. What how am I supposed to take that as an unchristian? Because I think that is completely bogus. I think that what Jesus uh, should have said was, good for you, Thomas, for asking to see the evidence. And those who, those who aren't lucky to be here, ask for the evidence. Look for the evidence. Seek out the empty tomb. Uh, the empty tomb is at these coordinates. He should have given them some evidence to look at. Instead, he said, now blessed are those who believe without seeing. That seems to be just the opposite of the kind of epistemology that I would um, endorse. Please tell me how you see that, Russell. Ooh, so that's where the apologetic comes in, right? <laughs> um, okay, so obviously, being an atheist at the time, I do think that Jesus existed at one point in one time, and he was like, you know, he was able to give that that physical verification type of evidence. But after that, we would have to believe just like we do in in anything else in history and in this life, we'd have to believe all the evidence provided to us by stuff like the empty tomb and so forth. So, yeah, at that point, it's going to be those type of things that that lead to uh, uh, whether Jesus rose again, you know, like. The empty tomb, the uh, the testimony from the disciples, the performance of miracles that the disciples did early on, uh, and and so forth. Even if you, I mean, you might not believe that now, but I'm talking about for the early believers that saw it at that time, um, and then believing off their testimony of who Jesus was. Do we have good evidence? Does it line up archaeologically? It's going to take more for people like us that don't see because we have to do a more thorough investigation of the claims. And come to that conclusion. So, but if if Jesus wanted the followers to look at evidence, don't you think that he could have done a better job at leaving evidence? So, for instance, but if for the Christian, we use, think he already has. Okay, but for for the for the non-Christian, if if what he wanted was you to follow the evidence, he could have, for instance, said, 
Uh, I came out of the tomb. It's over there, latitude 72, longitude 62. I don't know latitude and not longitude numbers, so don't at me if those don't make sense. Uh, it's right over there. Uh, someone mark it. There will be a church built next to it so you can go see it. I will leave some physical evidence, and even if you can't examine it now, people in the future will be able to examine it. I call it DNA. Look it up, people. He could have left us evidence. He could have said at that point, I slipped out of a shroud. It's magic. It's got my image on it. Uh, you can find it at that church over there. If he had wanted to leave evidence, he could have done that. He didn't do any of that. Sure he did. And uh, that's why we believe. Okay, well, I'm okay. missing. I'm missing the pa passages. You've where heard Jesus all the. Hey, look, you've heard. You've heard all the apologetic arguments. Uh, yeah, but none uh, of those amount to evidence. What I just said. I can't. I can't do that. For, I can't make you buy it. I. You know. I can only. But that's, present but it. that's not evidence. To, Jesus. Yes, Jesus could. Evidence. Jesus could have left well, actual evidence. That's let me, let me quote. Evidence. Let me quote Matthew Taylor for you too. Uh, my podcast partner over on Still Unbelievable and Presenium. Thank you, Matthew. Um, Matthew Taylor rightly says, uh, and, and maybe his, his favorite mantra, is that arguments are not evidence. And, and so the loggerhead that you two are at is, Russell, you're claiming that the, that the apologetic arguments themselves are evidence, and David is saying that they're not. I'm, I'm not claiming which one of you is right or wrong. I just want to identify the problem so that you guys can figure out how to work past it. Right. Look, Jesus knew the difference between hard evidence and uh, just mere philosophy and argumentation. He could have left hard evidence. He could have, once again, the shroud is a good example of something he didn't leave, that, uh, that someone had to fabricate. If Jesus wanted us to have something like that, he had the power to leave something like that. Uh, the the Ark of the Covenant was uh, an actual physical object with actual magic objects in it. If he wanted us to have that kind of evidence, he could have left that kind of evidence. Um, so I don't I don't buy that Jesus wanted us to have evidence when he said, "Blessed are those who believe without seeing," because he he's he's slamming on the person who demanded to see the evidence, and Jesus is like, "How dare you!" Okay, Russell, what do you say? Do you I, I disagree. I think he has left us hard evidence. Like you said, arguments aren't evidence, but what, what, what you bring to the argument and what you explain in the argument is the evidence of why you think it's, it's good. And, and I would just say that what, is, what would be your, 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 your basis of evidence. What is your evidence? What, well, I mentioned what is some. your criteria for evidence? What, I, what I mentioned, okay, I mentioned so some. You mentioned uh, hard evidence. I mentioned so a shroud. I'd, I'd love uh, to but, give the shroud hey, some the, space Hey, here. look, hey, look, you want to give the shroud some space. We had people on that that said, hey, we disagree that it's not fabricate. We disagree that it's fabricated. Look, even even okay? you don't believe in the shroud. Don't don't give me that. So I, that's, no, I, if I Jesus, didn't say I if don't Jesus believe had, in the shroud. If I'm Jesus just had not wanted that either way. evidence, we would it would be incontrovertible okay, and he so would have no, talked no, about no, it why, and the bible would have talked about it the the other thing well, you well, said you is excuse thing? me the other thing you said is the testimony that uh, the it, the it, word of god it, it, it jesus didn't write down a single word he didn't he didn't have any of his followers write down a single word there was nobody who 
walked with Jesus, who wrote down the things that happened. And so the written testimony came sometime after that. Uh, you talk about the miracles uh, that Jesus did. Well, guess what? The miracles that we're talking about are miracles that people work today. We call them magicians. I have seen David uh, uh, Copperfield up close, live, and in person. It is amazing. He has the power of demons, I say. Uh, no, he doesn't. Uh, I guarantee you, nobody in that room understood how he did those tricks. And for someone, the illusionists of Jesus' day and the tricksters of Jesus' day, they could have fooled those people just as easy. In fact, they could have fooled it easier because they have even less tools uh, to see the strings than we do today. And yet you want me to trust their uh, belief that these guys were doing miracles? No, that's not evidence. Uh, okay, hold on. So David, David Russell was going to, I think, say that your standard against the Bible is a lot is a is a lot higher than your standard against other uh, against other claims. No, Russell, I'm not sure that that's what you were going to say, but you were trying to interject, and it sounded something like that. Well, of course, uh, I would, I would, I would, I would say something along those lines. But uh, again, with everything David just ranted about, he just went off the chain about. We come to the exact different conclusions on those things miracles we come to the exact different conclusion um uh jesus's testimony uh the reliability of the gospels exact different conclusions on so are you the one that's justified or am i and that's what it comes down to but that is, right what we're, is that is what we're trying to sort out the, the but, epistemology but, but, that will yeah, get us yeah over so i have my epistemology like i said i've taken it from and I've explained this a hundred times, so I don't think we can we can chop it up any anymore. I've exclaimed I, I take a little bit of the Cartesian and I take a little bit of the the Russellonian. So you know, I, and I'm not not as eccentric as G. E. Moore when it comes to uh, blasting skeptics. So uh, it, that's really all I can I, I can say about it. I, okay. I don't know if I can explore it any any different. I believe the claims of Christianity because I think the evidence is good enough. David does not. Okay, but okay. you're not explaining why, and I have explained in some David, detail what no, you the, have the holes so, that I see. So okay, what do you, what do you, you, what you said? The shroud wasn't real. You said the shroud was real. Let me, let me recap. But why you see, I, hold on, guys. I added, I added to that shroud right. conversation okay. that if Jesus had wanted the shroud to be evidence, he could have said, by the way, I have this shroud. It has my image. It's right here. You'll be able to find it right here. Okay. They should have had the shroud in the first century, okay. not in not in the 6th or the God. 16th or whenever Pause. it showed up. Pause. Paul could, Pause. God could have, would have, should have, but he didn't. Pause. <laughs> Pause. Um, Russell, I want, you, I want you to respond. David, I actually, as a skeptic, take issue with one of the things you said. And and I want you to to reply to this. You 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 use the word incontrovertible, uh, incontrovertible evidence. And as I understand, the, the methodology I use um, is is the kind of methodology that uh, doesn't really accept most facts as incontrovertible. If you mean that they are in some sense. Um, uh, unfalsifiable. No, let me tell right. you what I mean. Let me let me tell you what I mean by incontrovertible. And I believe that I said that in um, 
uh, relation to the shroud, it, it would be incontrovertible that it was uh, a leg legitimate thing. So bear in mind that this is something that God supposedly left behind. Uh, and so God also would have known what kind of when we would find it and what kind of tests we would run on it. The very first tests would not have been, oh, this is fake. Oh, this, this, um, you know, the carbon dating and so forth. And then Christians wouldn't have had to go back and say, oh, wait, you tested a contaminated piece. What about this piece over here? That, that's the kind of thing that you think, uh, well, God didn't set that up. That's, that's set up by a committee uh, uh, riding in a clown car. Um, uh, so that's that. That is not, in fact, the kind of evidence that you would think uh, God would leave. Every test would show that it is what uh, God wanted people to think it was. But in fact, He left it so that tests didn't show that, so that we would have ages of debate about it. So let's say that the shroud is legitimate. God has left it in such a way where it's reasonable to doubt it. Very reasonable to doubt it. Uh, and so that doesn't stand as good evidence then. Once, once well, again, what would have stood as better evidence if Jesus, when he came out of the tomb, uh, and there is Mary or whatever group of women are there hanging on to him, um, if he had said, look, it's me, I'm Jesus, I've got this, this shroud here, I want you to take good care of it, it's got my image burned into it, uh, it's a miracle, uh, saints will come to believe uh, on it through that. I want I want this to be written down in the first books that write about me. He could have said all of that, done that. But Russell wants to mock that and say, I could have, should have, would have. This is exactly the kind of thing that Russell would demand if I said I had some kind of magic coat. Um, okay. As, you as know, one so rejoinder... I, I don't think that's unreasonable. Okay. As, as, as one quibble the... with what you've said there, I, I do want to say that um, the scientific method does not guarantee it, it, that the first tests are going to be positive. So you said, I'm, I'm, only, I'm only quibbling with the idea that the first tests had to demonstrate authenticity. Of the right, but you're talking about um, that from a scientific method point of view, and I'm talking about it from a God gave a miracle point of view. So this, go, this takes us out of the scientific method. Our scientific well, method could have been flawed, but if God, if God gave this to us, as a sign, he could have made sure the tests uh, said what they should have said. I'm not talking about our methodology. We're humans. We're idiots. We're, we could get things wrong. But if God is going to leave, quote unquote, hard evidence that that leads to belief in him, then it needs to be the kind of evidence that leads to belief in him, not the kind of evidence that looks like every other piece of man-made thing ever done. Well, it has okay. it has so, led to a lot of uh, uh, Christians or people becoming Christians. So obviously, it has done that for. I suspect it's probably led to uh, Christians walking away. Don't have the numbers, but it's I, there's there's nothing I, conclusive I, I, I that has worked out I well don't for Christians. I disagree that 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 may have been the case. So yeah, I think that okay. So, but, <laughs> um, I don't think that your you know I, I don't think that God has to do things with your criteria. So no, I mean, he doesn't. If he doesn't, if he doesn't want me to believe based on evidence, he's done exactly what he should do. He has left no evidence I that is convincing for me to believe. Again, well, okay. this is where we okay. come to the circularity. Well, We're never going to get anywhere because you disagree with the evidence. I agree with the evidence, and I've come to believe, um, and you have not. 
Russell, let me ask you a question. There, you, there are a lot of people uh, asking this question in their heads right now, especially if they've listened to my shows and David's shows in the past. Yeah. So you do accept uh, that that Jesus was a real person, that he he died, he was resurrected, uh, he ascended, um, I, largely as as it's told in the New Testament. I'm not claiming that you're a uh, you know that that you're a literalist in that sense, but you do accept the Christian story along broad lines, right? Is that yeah, is I that do. fair? I do. Okay, yeah. all right. So one of my problems is this: I actually don't see how any account of history can prove breaking of natural law, because as as I understand history, uh, it really reports on who, what, when, where, and why. And it reports on how, to the limited extent, that we could reproduce a thing. So in what way, then, uh, are you saying that history has led you to accept miraculous claims? What, what gets you across that finish line? And when you, and if you can, it might be too long an answer, but if you can, how do you tell the difference between uh, miracles that are reported in the Bible that you think are true and other miracles that you think are frauds? What epistemology do you use? Wow. Um, apologetics is because I believe apologetics is epistemology. But no. Uh, but that doesn't really. Uh, yeah, no, uh, it's, yeah, it's, well, yeah, it's yeah, way yeah, too broad an answer. For this a very is, yeah. Question. Well, you gave me a way too broad of a thing to answer and it okay. that, that would take detailed answer okay, I'll, and, and I'll do better. it's a little unfair How do you okay. tell the difference between i don't i don't want to do it false yeah but andrew y'all are going to get really frustrated with me because no i, I if you, if <laughs> I, you I are back, not ready for that i we came will back I, I came back today and i told david i didn't want to get to this point because this was supposed to be just a conversation about generals of epistemology right okay so, all right no that's fair so, and i'm not trying to go back on entire apologetic on miracles um we would have to dive into what is a miracle is it a violation of the laws of physics or is it not is it something like uh craig or mcgrew would say as as just god coming and and doing things in the world you know uh there, there's just so many things we can um, talk about when it comes to miracles and, and we'd have to flesh that out and you know i don't think that would be a let let, let me let me let me let me see if i can um do something a little bit simpler than that, that also uh, addresses epistemology. The people who wrote about uh, miracles in the Bible and gave testimony of having seen miracles, that sort of thing, uh, I take it you trust them. You, you, you have decided, you've read that testimony and you've decided that they are telling the truth about the miracles they saw. Is that correct? Okay, yeah. Okay, so what gives you the idea that they were able to determine a legitimate miracle from a fraud. Even I cannot determine legitimate magic from a fraud. I simply come at all magic I see as fraudulent. Okay. Yeah, we'll so, but if, just if it's just a matter of, if it's just a matter of what I can see, I can't determine it. 
So what, and we know in the religious realm, there are lots of people who do quote unquote miracles who are fraudulent. Uh, and Christians have a hard time telling the frauds from the real people. And so what makes you think the folks from the Bible times in the first century that they had this bead on it so that they were actually reporting on legitimate miracles as opposed to fraudulent miracles? I actually Again, asked that question. Yeah, he did. <laughs> it's, it's basically his question in a different way, David. Are you are you trying to like? What are you doing but, here? But this, well, is, but this this is this, this is, is a basic epistemological question because you talk about the word of God, right? So this is a testimony from the word of God. Okay, I'll give you the quick answer. I don't. I'm not going to be able to lay out an entire apologetic. I believe in miracles, A, because I believe God exists. I think God is a good hypothesis. Not the uh, question I ask. I'm assuming miracles are real. I, I also assume that well, false Well, that's part of how I come to that conclusion, right? Right. So, so you're miracles, gonna just reject it out. Outright. I'm not rejecting. I'm accepting it outright. Miracles are real. Now, for the sake of this question, okay. it is how did they tell the difference between the real ones and the fake ones? Because you believe oh. that all of the miracles in the Bible were real, and that just seems to be a, a bogus assumption because you don't believe all the miracles that happened today are real. And so somehow all the miracles in the Bible were real, and all of those people had some kind of special discernment. I'm wondering how you get there. Again, there's there's an entire argument I, that I don't have in front of me right now to, to be able to get. But you just believe okay. that all the Bibles uh, and the miracle were real. No, I've investigated why I believe what they are. I don't have it here in front of me to be able to give you a thorough defense of it, and I don't do that on air. I, I just won't give you, uh, like I said, in a nutshell. Do you I believe, you I any, believe Bible, any miracles in the so first I century? Believe, I, believe, I believe that the New Testament miracles were real because I believe in the reliability of the New Testament, and I have reasons why okay. the, I believe those those uh, that the New Testament is reliable. And the, and the epistemo, I think the, the authors are telling question the question is why. Okay. Okay. David, David Russell, let me let me re-ask you this question. It's a yes or no, and it will not require a methodology. When you say that you accept the miracles of the New Testament, and I'm, I'm not gonna not gonna go through and name miracles and make you say yes or no yeah. or anything well, like that. I, I, I will accept whichever body you think happened are the ones you think happened. Peter Walker no. on water, yes or no? Yes, uh, I said I wasn't going to do it. I can't. I can't do anything with that no. other guy. It seems like part. a good game show. Um, okay. Anyway. <laughs> so when you when you accept those, do you accept them uh, based on your understanding of history, or is there something more than history? Oh, sorry, it was supposed to be a yes no. Is it history <laughs> or is uh, so? Is it right. is it more? Is it history plus something else? I'll turn it into a yes no question. For you, is it history plus spirituality that equals yes, you accept them, or is it just historical method that gets you to yes? That still wasn't yes. Is it history plus spirituality? No, I think it's more history, yeah. Okay, so the answer is no. So it is just, it, you can get to acceptance of miracles okay. using historical method. Not, oh, not just the historical method alone. No, I told you that I, I had to get to establishing a good belief in God. 
You know, it, it's a, okay. it, if you know anything, you, you do know, uh, and I'm, I don't want to insult your intelligence. I'm not saying that. So don't think. I don't go, but you know, I don't go that way. You'd route. be the only one you know on the podcast who hasn't. You guys know, <laughs> but, yeah, but you guys know what I mean. I, I don't go, sure. I don't come sure. at it with that arrogant, uh, you know, I'm a believer and you guys suck type thing. What yeah, I no, I'm not trying this, to pin you into uh, that corner. Yeah, so no attempt to do that. I know. So uh, what I'm trying to say is that you know the classical approach to apologetics. Okay, so we start with uh, a list of arguments that start from you know the the cosmological to the teleological to the moral to the historical. Sure. So it's sure. all part of a huge methodology. So I mean, that's where that's where we would come to our belief in bullshit. Okay. So here's the thing. Apologetics is is garbage. Um, this, I understand. I see where you. I know where you are. I know you're studying college, apologetics. In no, college. no, that's fine. I get that. I also study apologetics. I get it. But you here's don't the buy thing. It. Nobody, nobody, almost zero people. Okay, there may be a handful. Almost zero people come to faith in Christianity through apologetics. They, in fact, do not start with some uh, esoteric argument about the beginning of the universe. That is not true. They come to Christianity, a, a belief in Christianity or Islam or something else, not through apologetics, but through their society, through their parents, uh, through their school, through any number of things. Apologetics isn't how you get to faith. It's how you uh, explain faith and define it after you get there and you want to justify it. It's how you justify faith. It's not how you get it. I don't know where that came from, David. Why Why? Why are you bashing on it? I didn't even say anything about it. I said, I just, just gave you my I methodology. It's, it's not, I just it's gave not. you my methodology of how to explain the epistemology of miracles. Right, I but, I'm, but I'm saying first. that you're, you're giving that I as an explanation, that but that's not why you believe. Uh, yes, it it's is. not I, why you believe. Okay, hold on, hold on. Hold on. We're clinching on the road. David Russell. It's not why you came to that belief. David Russell, let me... It is not. Clinching on the ropes. <laughs> Break, come back in the middle of the map. <laughs> David Russell, how did you, rather than, rather than you saying, yes, it is, and David Jones is saying, no, it's not. Um, David Russell, how did you come to an acceptance of Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And did that journey start with apologetics? Or was it apologetics a stop somewhere further down the road? A uh, step further down the road, David's right. Uh, so so when it comes to me, um, and, and this is not a right for everybody in the world. I, I think there's different means to which people come to faith. And uh, there are some people that come to it by purely unapologetic. I'll be right back, guys. I got to get to But as far as David Johnson's concerned, he knows my testimony. That's why he was harping on me a little bit there. Uh, sure. But uh, uh, yeah, so, so Andrew, I, I think for me... I was very naive and I was very young and I did get into a word of faith movement early on. Mm. Uh, yeah. And that's where I came to believe in a very charismatic Pentecostal kind of way. Um, I didn't think back then, you know, so I was challenged by uh, my cousin who was an atheist and I was just like, wow, I, I don't have any good answers. I have, I, I've given my life to this and I don't know why I believe it. So let me look into it. Let me look into other things. And, and it started my quest on looking for truth. And I studied a lot of different things. Sure. I went to school, 
you know, back in school philosophy, I studied Plato, uh, uh, Aristotle, you know, looking into those things and stuff like that. And you know what? It comes more and more every day. I come to the idea that I don't know near as much as I should. So, you know, there's still a lot to be learned throughout it. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. By the way, I respect your journey through apologetics, uh, just to make that perfectly clear. <laughs> I have taken that journey through apologetics, and I think that um, it is incumbent upon every Christian who claims to believe something to have good, vigorous uh, understandings of what it is they believe and reasons uh, why they believe it. And uh, uh, that is what apologetics is for. Uh, it is not so much a conversion tool. I think that it's used incorrectly when Christians try to use it as a, a method of conversion. But it is a it is a perfectly good and legitimate tool for Christians who need uh, better answers for their faith. And so I uh, I applaud any Christian who takes that journey uh, to get better answers for their faith. But so yeah. Anyways. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, David. David. Our, do you think we've opened up the can of worms, David, enough? I think I think so. I think uh, I think the I think the worms are out there. Um, so I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, just for the just for the uh, there is one. So I want to make sure I want to be clear about one thing. So uh, in case I don't use this part I'm, uh, that I talked about yesterday, uh, there are tools for investigating. Uh, reality. Uh, and the tools that we have to investigate reality as a naturalist, the ones that I know about and know how to use are uh, sight, sound, uh, smell, touch, taste, and mind. Uh, because I think you you need a mind and thought process uh, reason to, to go along with those things to understand what it is. Even so, those tools are imperfect, even when used at their best. Uh, you're still going to come short of reality uh, sometimes, many times. But I do believe, for better or worse, those are the only tools we have available. I believe that Russell would also say we have spirit, uh, you know, or or some some type of external uh, thing from God that helps us see clearly. Am I am I stating that correctly? Yes. Okay. So that would that would be Close, one of the closely, major closely. Okay, right. right. So the, one of the major differences is that Russell and I have different a different toolkit. He he has all of the tools that I have, but I don't have all of the tools that he has. Uh, and so un, un, we're going to see things very very differently. And it would be the best the most generous way I could uh, describe this is let's say that Russell is a person with perfect vision, and I'm a person who has no vision. Uh, and this is the way it's been all our lives. And so I describe the world uh, with uh, words in things that don't use vision because I don't have any. And then Russell describes the world using this vision component. I'm saying, what are you talking about? What is this? This sounds crazy to me. What is this vision you're talking about? Well, he, there's a there's an element of the world that is real to him because he has the tools to explore it, and I do not. Uh, and so, if the spiritual component is like that, like like so, you know, there's a spirit spiritual realm detector that Christians have that non Christians don't. I can understand the Christians' frustration. We don't have it, so it sounds crazy to us. They do. But there's still the problem of 
explaining reality in a way that uh, we can all agree on and understand. And as long as we're using different tools and coming up with different realms, I think that it is almost impossible uh, to end up in the same place when it comes to reality. I do hope you use a little bit of this, of, of the last broadcast, even if it's just a rough cut and then it starts over again. Yeah, I'm going hey, to use some of um, it. I'll say... Because, I know that some of this is covered a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it was. And, you know, it, it kind of gives us, get, gave us, like, where where we were yesterday to where we are today, you know. Um, but, yeah, you, you know, I, I think when it comes to this topic, really, you know, you have a way of looking at things. I have a way of looking at things. How do any of us know know what we know? How do we know those are the right tools? How do we know they are the tools? You know, uh, this is this has been the divide since humanity's existence. Basically, this is the the picture I painted. I, I didn't paint. Raphael did, I think, uh, of Aristotle walking down uh, the 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 temple or whatever with Plato next to him. And Plato's pointing up, and and Aristotle's pointing inward, and then you got the sophists and the people around him arguing. These are these are these are topics that we're going to be exploring the rest of our lives, and who's who's right and who's wrong, and that's that's what it's going to come down to, uh, whenever we find out or if we never find out. On yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna get some big brains on this topic uh, next week and the week after that and possibly the week after that. Uh, we're going to explore this uh, subject very thoroughly. Some of the topics that I'd like to see uh, the panelists take on uh, starting next week are very practical. So I hope that we don't just get mired in the philosophical, uh, because I think that's fairly useless. It's, it's useless if you can't use it. So uh, we have some real questions uh, about real things going on today that divide us. So, for instance... Uh, what is the truth about coronavirus and masks? Should should you wear masks? Should you so, social distance? Uh, should you use the vaccine? Or, you know, are super spreader events okay? Am I wrong to call them super spreader events? What's the truth? How do we come to... I don't even care what the truth... How do we come to know the truth? How does one side end up with one set of facts and another side end up with another? Uh, President uh, uh, Biden, uh, you know, got into office by the skin of his teeth. Uh, former President Trump... Uh, says that he won by a lot, by a lot. It wasn't even close. And there are many, many people, 74 million people in this country who agree with him uh, that were that were with him. Now, I'm not saying this just to be um, um, inflammatory. I'm saying there is a, a divide in the facts. Uh, we've got two different sides that have different facts as if we come from different universes and we have an epistemological divide uh, on basic matters and when they play out in the real world, they get explosive, they get, they get ugly. Uh, and so I hope that, uh, if, you know, if not these two issues, I hope that some of the panelists talk about some practical issues of where we've had epistemological divide and how we're supposed to overcome that. I don't hear you. Did you mute yourself? We're, we're all here. Well, I am. Yeah, but Russell's talking. I was talking. muted. I was there you muted. Go. That was my fault. <laughs> uh, here I am, like, talking. I was just pointing up, uh, doing the Play-Doh uh, point up, you know, so. 
Um, I wasn't saying give me a second to talk, but uh, I was going to say jokingly as as we close that the reason there is such a divide is because you're in San David. Okay. <laughs> I'm just um, kidding. So <laughs> with that, with that, I'm I'm just going to make a, a brief. I'm going to make a brief closing uh, ahead, statement on this, as as good. is my tradition. Right, you You're good. I'm good. Okay, right. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna close with some thoughts. Um, look, nothing that I said, even if you agree with what I said, gives you much of a start on what proper epistemology is. I'm I'm still looking for that. I don't even know if there is a such thing as a systematic epistemology. Because I believe that if you use the best sets of tools that we have available every time, all the time, and you use them flawlessly, we will still come up with wrong answers sometimes. So that's that's why this is so difficult. There's also the problem that uh, even if we say you've got the best tools, how do we know what the actual right is if there's no yardstick, uh, no ruler, no clock, no something in common that we can take your answer and measure it against. Um, it's it's very hard to know uh, who has the right answer. We just have to judge who is using their tools correctly. I do believe that the tools that I grew up using are faulty. Uh, I do not believe that the inner witness of the Holy Spirit is a good tool. Why do I believe that? Because I have watched people who have claimed to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, I mean, they have the Holy Spirit by a lot. Um, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet they disagree on uh, major things. And so I don't believe that the inner witness of the Holy Spirit is a very good tool for measuring. I don't believe faith is a very good tool for understanding truth because there are people who are full of faith. They are overflowing with faith. Faith is pressed down, shaken together, uh, shaken up, pressed together, and overflowing uh, with them. And yet they come up with very uh, divergent views uh, on very important things. I don't think the Word of God is a very good tool for measuring truth. Because at the end of the day, we can't even get Christians in the same denomination agreeing on what the Word of God says, let alone on what it means. Uh, and so, as a practical matter, I find these to be some of the worst tools in the kit. That said, I still have an obligation, and those who would agree with me still have the obligation, to come up with better tools. And I hope to uh, hear that in the weeks to come, uh, what you think uh, the best tools are in practical ways to use them. Next week, I don't know who all is going to be on this show, but I am lining up uh, Dale uh, and Andrew. They will be a part uh, of this show, and I suspect there will be uh, one other Christian if Russell has invited someone like I asked him to do. Um, I have. That person will show up. Do you have any... Do you know... Uh, I don't if know so yet if he's coming on or not. Okay. Uh, so expect the the question mark man from Russell's side. You're gonna need to bring a ringer, my friend. Um, and um, and I think that we'll just go with three for next week, and uh, we'll we'll start breaking down some of these issues. And if you have questions for the panelists, start leaving them in the comments. Skeptics and Seekers. Dot Squarespace. Dot com. Just click on the show. 
and uh, leave your question in there. I'll see the comments. I'll um, I'll gather them together and make sure that the panelists uh, see them. If you want to email your question to make sure it doesn't get lost in the hundreds of comments that sometimes occur in the show, skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. I read every email that comes in, uh, and we'll see them. So... Uh, if there's anyone who is not on the panel but who would love to just appear on the show for five minutes and talk to the panelists, bring it on. You're in. I'd love to see that bit of chaos. Um, call me Loki. Love it. Um, we'll get you in. Uh, so it's going to be fun. And uh, thank you all for your participation as we get ready to spend the next few weeks on this subject. Uh, and I think that's all I've got for now. Uh, Procinium, uh, what's your what's your email address? Still unbelievable, Procinium, Andrew. Oh well, they can. Uh, so for all of our shows, uh, still unbelievable, Procinium, you can hit us at ReasonPress at gmail.com. ReasonPress at gmail.com. All right, and proselytes apostasy. Uh, what <laughs> what do you proselytize or apostatize? Yeah, let's go with uh, apostatize. Um, anyway, was that a question? I choose. I choose B. What's uh, a? <laughs> I don't know. If, she, if she's a really cute proselyte, that could you know that could make a. I just, <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> every time, every time you said Russellonium, I kept thinking of a noodle dish with like some marinara. <laughs> anyway, you got you got an email that address. That says way too much I, about uh, you, dude. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you, you can got, find me at. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Okay, I don't great. Know, right off the top. No, no, yeah, I do. It's drrussellgr.81 at gmail.com. And uh, go to YouTube and, and look up. You um, look us, yeah, you can look us up on YouTube and find yeah, us there. So. He's got like a whole show. You can subscribe. It's yeah. a good show. I've been yeah, on you it. should subscribe. Subscribe today. Yeah. You need as many more subscribers as possible. That's right. Same. You can, you can find Russell at skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. Uh, Right, that's that's right. apostasizing. But anyway, oh, oh, no, um, no, you can find skeptics and seekers on YouTube too. Okay. Subscribe yeah. today. It's, yeah, subscribe. Really, it, by hitting subscribe, whether you ever watch the show again, it really helps us out. So, uh, if you hate the show, subscribe and then ignore us, uh, or hate listen. We love hate listeners. I love, I love the hate listeners. Uh, so we will, uh, we'll be back. And um, thanks, uh, thanks everybody. Uh, see you later. And the big red button, big red button, still recording. <laughs>